0: Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in B.C. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. Good morning to you. This is Mike Smith. We start today with unsafe trucks on metro roads and highways. What the truck is going on here? The police crackdown that caught nearly a 1,000 unsafe commercial vehicles, they were pulled off the road. The failure rate here on these police spot checks, incredible. Let's discuss now with my guest, Constable Kevin Connolly from the Burnaby RCMP. Constable, thanks for coming on today.
1: Thank you for having me, Mike.
0: Yeah, I appreciate it a lot. Let's talk about this operation here. You had several different law enforcement agencies involved over the past year, right? Tell me what you discovered here. What's going on?
1: So We uh, participate in with 10 different uh, police, provincial, municipal agencies across the Lower Mainland. Uh, We've come to an agreement together that um, due to the nature of truck traffic in the Lower Mainland, it requires a regional approach. It's not a city by city concern. So we pool our resources and conduct checks uh, throughout the Lower Mainland in all the different participating agencies. Last year, we did uh, 50 enforcement operations in varying cities, which saw 1,715 trucks inspected with 999 of those inspected found to be unfit for the road, containing at least one uh, item that would make them a hazard and required them to be removed until either it was uh, corrected uh, roadside or needing for them to be towed to a mechanic shop.
0: Okay, 999 is a nice round number there out of 1,715 trucks. That's a do the math. It's a failure rate of 58%. Constable, you know, for people who are hearing these numbers this morning saying, you kidding me? Like nearly 60% of these vehicles don't pass a, a safety inspection report or inspe- a safety inspection? What do you think of that number?
1: It is a concerning number for us. These vehicles are some of the, the largest um heaviest vehicles that have the potential to do a lot of damage on our roads. Um, The need for them to be maintained is a part of the factor to ensure that they are going to drive and operate safely, that the drivers um, can um, conduct their jobs properly and safely as well as uh, the motorists around them. The, The biggest issue that we see Uh, Of course, so year over year, we've been doing this for several years now, and it is a consistent uh, number. We're seeing it does fluctuate year over year, but it is uh, consistent above 50 percent. And ultimately, our goal would be to try and see that reach zero percent. There is a long way to go with that, but we're going to continue to do our best effort, whether it be through enforcement, but especially through education to try and bring that number down to zero.
0: Speaking of Constable Kevin Connolly, Burnaby RCMP, nearly 60% of the trucks inspected last year fail a safety inspection. They're pulled off the road. What kind of stuff did you see out there, Kevin? Like, can you tell me some of this, what kind of infractions did you witness there? Uh,
1: So um, one thing we do track, of course, this is specific to um, uh, Burnaby RCMP data, but uh, year over year I do track what our top uh, offenses we're seeing Um, Year over year, our first one is always defective motor vehicles. So something is wrong with the truck, whether that be a light, whether that be brakes, um, whether that be a tire defect, something of that nature. Um, Our second, uh, usually fluctuating between second or third year over year, is uh, cargo that's not secured properly. And then uh, last year's third top uh, offence was drivers not doing proper pre-trips or not filling out their paperwork properly. Um, for the top defects, uh, we're seeing, uh, it's not surprising that lamps or lights are the top. There are a lot of lights that can fail on a truck, but that could be anything from a headlight to a marker light to turn signals, brake lights, etc. cetera. Uh, our second top defect is the brakes, which is, of course, uh, extremely concerning to us that we are Rather consistently seeing in our checks whether it be parking brakes, emergency brakes, uh, just general air brakes are not functioning when we are testing them or inspecting them. Um, the third top defect is uh, tires, uh, tires whether they be damaged or severely compromised. Um, and then the last one is steering defects, uh, faulty wow. def- aspects with the steering either. That present an imminent hazard or are interfering with the free movement of steering on trucks
0: oh my goodness that's a lot tell me about the uh the truck with the smoking brakes i heard you talking about that yesterday what, what happened there
1: yes yeah, so with uh with that one i was uh out at one of our joint checks uh, in the lower mainland and i was waiting for uh, a truck to come to basically pull over for my next inspection And where we were positioned was a bit of a dip. So any truck that comes over, they come over a crest of a hill. And then that's where they come upon where our inspection point was. So as I'm watching the direction of traffic coming towards us, I see some uh, smoke on the other side of this hill. And then uh, I see a truck come into view and there's dark gray smoke coming from, it appears, the trailer of this, excuse me, of this truck. So I step out on the roadway, Um, the truck tries to change lanes to the left lane, the lane I'm not in. I then step further over and direct them over. I get him into an inspection point and I can see the smoke is coming from the trailer. Um, And um, I speak with the driver, I'm like, the reason I stopped you is because your your, um, trailer is smoking. It could potentially be catching fire. Uh, the driver advised me that uh, he was aware of that, and he was in the process of pulling over. Um, I then um, conducted an inspection where both of the the trailer brakes had fully seized. So they locked in place, and this truck was driving in the road with those seized brakes. So as they're continuously driving with those uh, brake pads essentially engaged, the, the it's the friction's heating them up. And you could see that they were starting to, I guess, heat up. So they're starting to, you can see they're changing color. And of course, they, we couldn't, I couldn't touch them for a considerable amount of time just due to how hot the brake pods were. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, I did a full inspection. There was an extensive amount of things wrong with the driver believing that since it's not his truck, it's not his responsibility to be inspecting it and ensuring that it's fixed.
0: Well, wow, and that truck was pulled off the road, I assume. Yes,
1: yeah, so it was put on yeah. a tow truck. It was immediately sent to an inspection facility for a certified mechanic to do a more comprehensive inspection of the truck. <laughs> and it was, it would, uh, I took, I seized the license plates. Um, so the truck would remain at that inspection facility to until a, mecha- a certified mechanic passed it and um, indicated that it was safe to be back on the road. Kevin Connolly
0: thank you for your time this morning I appreciate it you're very welcome Mike thank you yeah thank you Kevin Connolly there Constable Burnaby RCMP let's uh, check in quickly with Andy Roberts Mountain Transport Institute it is one of the main truck driver training schools in British Columbia Andy thanks for coming on
2: morning Mike thanks for having me
0: you're welcome Andy thank you what do you think about what you're hearing here
2: I'm a little shocked, actually. Traditionally, when when we look at uh, defect numbers in in a lot of the inspections that go on annually nationwide, the numbers are the numbers still aren't great, but they're usually more in the 20 to 25 percent range. So to see numbers north of 50 percent is is uh, that's pretty scary stuff.
0: Okay, I got my phone lines open here right now. We're talking about the extraordinary number of trucks that were pulled off the road here in the past year in Metro Vancouver failing a safety inspection. So it's a 60%, near 60%, failure rate on this safety inspection. Nearly a 1,000 trucks were pulled off the road last year. 604-280-9898 is the number to call. Star 9898, toll-free on your cell. Andy Roberts is my guest. Let's go to Ed on Vancouver Island. Hi, Ed. Go ahead.
3: Yeah, I've been trucking for 40 years. Uh, I was very skeptical on some of the stuff he was saying. Like, he was talking about burnt-out lights, uh, talking about some of the tires and that. Um, as far as the brakes, like, how much is, like, you allowed a quarter on your brakes? Um, so, is he putting them out of service because they got burnt-out lights and stuff? Like, Sometimes you're driving on the highway, your light burns out. I see, I don't know how many cars on the highway will want one headlights, like, and stuff. And the only thing I agree with is the last one that he said there was that the guy was driving down the road and he had smoke and brakes. So if a driver can't see his smoke and brakes driving down the road, well, there's definitely a problem with the guy behind the wheel.
0: Okay, and thank you for that. Well, Andy, what do you think of that? He's This is a veteran truck driver. He says, are police being too uh too overbearing on this if is it is do you think it's reasonable to pull a truck off the road if it's got a a lights burned out
2: so there's criteria that they follow under national safety code standard 13 schedule one there there's there's a list of what's a defect and what's a major defect so the only way they're going to pull them off the road is if they have a major defect so such as uh brake lights neither brake light is functioning uh, neither taillight is functioning in the dark. Uh, both your low beam headlights are out in the dark. Those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. I would imagine those are the those are the criteria that they're using to actually put somebody out of service. Um, I would imagine they would issue a fix it slip and allow somebody to continue with a defect such as a single headlight out, as Ed described there.
0: Vince in White Rock. Hi, Vince. Go ahead.
4: Your show. '94. Uh, I got my class on an air brakes. I went through Valley. School. they had wicked equipment awesome I run excavator now I was actually in November past November driving to work I was behind a or a, a trucking company school had no brake lights I went around because it was a dotted line I went around and had only one headlight and I was appalled that somebody didn't do a walk around on this on this truck because the walk around is needed and the major thing that when we were in school, we were taught about a slack adjuster, about changing the slack adjuster. And we went through theory about, you know, when that, that big accident, when you're going down towards that uh, asphalt truck that went into uh, Horseshoe Bay. And that was one of the talks and stuff that they weren't knowing how to actually adjust a slack adjuster. So,
0: Okay. You know, let me, let me, hey, Vince, let me ask you this. When you say you should do a walk around, like you do a walk around the vehicle, just check all the lights and, and signals and, are working? And, and, and,
4: In anything, and I run heavy equipment, big excavators. I do a walk around on my excavator when I go through it. Uh, A truck, you do a walk around. Like every time, like every time,
0: every time before you get behind the wheel, you're supposed to do that.
4: You're supposed to do that. Dump truck, whatever. You do a walk around. You check your tires. You check. You do a. You do a complete walk around. You check your blinkers. You check. You know. You check. It's it's part of a checkup. Yeah. um, of, Of what you do, and that's safety because you're getting into this elephant that you're driving with load or whatever. And you want to make sure when you're on the road, you're not only putting yourself in in, in safety, but you're putting everybody else around you in safety. Obviously, there was no walk around on this vehicle because they would have said, wait a minute here, we got no brake lights. Wait a minute, we're out on headlights.
0: Okay, Vince, thank you very much for the call. All right, is it, Andy, what do you think of that? Is it the driver's responsibility to do an inspection of their own vehicle?
2: Absolutely. Drivers are required to do a pre-trip inspection. They're required to do on-route inspections every three hours or 240 kilometres, or any time they have a change of duty status, and then a post-trip inspection at the end. So I think, Mike, one of the big challenges we have is – there's so many trucks running around in the lower mainland and they don't ever see a highway scale. So most of the companies that run on the highways are through the scales all the time. And so they get checked on a more frequent basis. And, uh, you know, there's, there's lots of truckers at the coast that never see any, any enforcement people. Um, you know their vehicles are go through a motor vehicle inspection with a licensed mechanic every 6 months but you know when you when you're hearing these kind of numbers you just wonder how good a job is being done by some of the shops down there on those checkups
0: mm. mike and vernon hi mike go ahead
3: hey good morning first of all andy i'd like to say you guys are the best company ever i know a couple of people have been through it and they just rave about it um, I've got 35 years in the industry, and and I know you guys do a great job. A um, couple of things. First of all, that driver that was pulled over should have had his, his commercial license pulled with, with with the comments that he made to the inspector and also the condition that the truck was in. It was obvious he didn't do a pre-trip. Um, the other thing is um, I worked for a company. We kept our equipment in high high-end um, state of, uh, of repair constantly looking after them we rarely got pulled over even in the scales because they knew that we looked after them so one of the things that happens when they do these roadsides especially in the lower mainland is that these inspectors are really adept at being able to pick out something coming down the road that's probably going to have problems so many many times those roadsides i drove through them and they just waved me on or took a quick look at my book and i was gone whereas There's lots of them that get pulled over, and they get a level one inspection because they know, and that's when they're going to find it. So these numbers can be a little bit skewed based on the fact that that these guys are very good at finding the trucks and pulling them over that need to be inspected. Mike,
0: thank you very much for the call. Thank you for all the calls on that topic. This is one we continue to follow for you. Andy, thank you for coming on today.
2: You bet. You're welcome, Mike. Anytime. Have a great weekend.
0: all right let's talk about the drive to transition to electric vehicles now 2035 that is the deadline in canada and in british columbia too to go to one hundred percent electric vehicle sales Are we starting to see some resistance to EVs here? We've seen a a lot of recent negative headlines about this sector. Where is this EV market heading right now? Uh, Demand appears to be slowing down somewhat for EVs, especially south of the border. Got David Booth standing by to discuss. First, have a listen to this here now. Ford, the Ford Motor Company, announcing that... uh, demand for their f-150 lightning electric truck has gone down they're cutting production have a listen to this this is from cbs news in detroit Ford says it will cut production of the f-150 lightning in half by next year earlier this year ford raised its plant capacity for building those electric trucks but now the company says it will cut production at its rouge electric vehicle center from 3200 trucks a week to 1600. Experts say demand for electric vehicles has been lower than expected. Ford says it will ramp up production if that demand grows. All right, let's discuss now with my guest, David Booth. David is the automotive senior writer. He's the producer of Driving.ca's Driving Into the Future panel and the Motor Mouth podcast. Very pleased to welcome him to the show. David, thanks a lot for coming on.
5: Not a problem. Glad to be here.
0: Yeah, I, I really like your work here and following this industry. I follow you online. I encourage all the listeners to do the same here. David, let's talk about your thoughts here on this EV sector here right now. They have been getting a lot of, of bad press lately, right? Do you think it's warranted?
5: There isn't a lot of good news. And before I get into the bad news, I want to categorically say sales aren't decreasing in EVs. It's just that the rate of progress of sales, the ramp up, as it were, is slowing down fairly dramatically. And um, Mm. what it and and that uh, the projections to get to 2035 with all um, ZEV uh, vehicles requires that the ramp up um, continues to speed up, not slow down. And so that thing is in question. Now, bad news. There's it's kind of tough to find some good news some people are uh, especially the tesla supporters are talking about the model y keeps getting cheaper but that's just because they're cutting prices and making way less money on it so i'm that's at best a mixed bag uh just since i wrote the article you're referencing uh polestar it found out that volvo which is the major shareholder in polestar their electric division has decided they're not going to fund them anymore. Basically, there's just not enough money and there's not enough returns. Basically, every automaker is slowing down their projections. Um, they are cutting their prices or what, uh, whatever. They're having a really, really hard time selling them as much as they projected. That and yeah. they, on the other flip side of the coin, hybrids and plug-in hybrid sales, um, HEVs and PHEVs are actually selling like hotcakes and the number one company again um, can't keep cars in its dealership is Toyota Um, Mm. So, and that's because they have a good combination of uh, plug-in hybrids, hybrids and regular cars
0: Yeah, speaking of Toyota I got a buddy who recently got a plug-in hybrid RAV4 and he loves it he had to wait, I think he waited over a year to get that vehicle but he said it was worth the wait and he really enjoys that vehicle. Speaking to David Booth, driving.ca. Yeah. And when you take a look, David, at the 2035 deadline, as you mentioned, to transition to 100% vehicle, EV vehicle sales in Canada. And if production is slowing down a little bit or demand is softening a bit, I guess that's a bit of a problem. And you mentioned, you mentioned cost. And I often hear for, from people for your thoughts that, one of the things that is a barrier for them is that they find these vehicles to be very expensive. Let me play a clip here for you, get your thoughts. This is the federal environment minister, Stephen Gilbo, and he's talking here about people complaining about the cost of these EVs. Listen to what he says here, then I'll get your thoughts. EVs are quickly reaching cost parity with their gas-powered alternatives. As new model of electric sedans, trucks, SUVs, crossover, and more keep coming on the market. Almost all industry projections show that by the end of the decades the decade at the latest, the purchase price of gas powered and electric cars will be about the same. Okay, so that's the Federal Environment Minister there trying to assure people that the price is coming down, EVs will be the same as gas powered vehicles. David, is that the is that what the pro- is that the projection right now?
5: How brutal do you want this?
0: <laughs> as brutal as you like.
5: Go ahead. Well then I'm gonna Mr. Gilbo is such a lightweight, he'd float away if he wasn't tethered to the ground. I mean, the, the man, uh, we need a new minister of the environment if he's going to deal with electric vehicles. Um, the, the model Y, they've cut the be- Jesus out of the price. They also get $2 billion in subsidization from payments of EV tax credits from other uh, automakers. That's how they've cut the price. It, they haven't found a magic bullet to uh, do the um, to to cut costs. The average cost, according to JD Power in Canada, of an EV over its equivalent um, um, uh, gas-powered version is somewhere between fifteen and twenty thousand um, dollars. And p- people can find out for themselves. Like Kia Nero has a gas. And then they have um, a, a, an EV, and you can check for yourself. They're, it's an ex- exactly identical car. You can find out for yourself. Uh, Mr. Gilbo is smoking what Elon Musk smokes. Um, <laughs> will there ever be a day that it's on price parity? No, I don't think so. Not not by not before twenty thirty, absolutely, and not, maybe not even by twenty thirty five. The fact is, is we according to, uh, you know we're ramping. We want to ramp up EV sales. And we want to make yeah. all cars EVs in the world. That's sort of the projection. So that eventually there will be 100 million cars, all electric. That means we're going to have to have up to 20 to 30 times more minerals to put in these batteries in the space of 15 years. Yeah. And it takes, in Canada, 10 years, southern jurisdictions, five years to get these mines approved and running. Uh, Milton Friedman says you can't, you know, demand 20 times as much um, 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 minerals uh, or any product and then reduce its price along the way. That's it's just it, it flies in the face of uh, great economics. And. Lastly, it's yeah. not about economies of scale because fifty two percent of the cost of a battery right now is in those minerals. It's not about labor and, and, and other uh, and other things. So I, I do not see a way that Mr. Gilmo's prediction is true.
0: What, what do you think about the 2035 target here to go to 100 percent EV sales in the country? Do you think that is a rational, or reasonable, realistic target, or is that like fantasy land stuff too? Uh, it, Canada wide it's fantasy land. Um,
5: I, I, in certain provinces I don't think they'll make hundred they, percent they may get close. So you're in Vancouver I believe yeah. um, yes in British British Columbia and you guys are doing well. I think you're at 21% yeah, um, so maybe is, a little higher right now yeah. um, you you'll get well over 50 you might get over even around 75. Uh, same with Quebec, because you've got provincial and federal subsidies. There are no such subsidies uh, f- uh, provincial in Ontario, and um, we're around 12%. And you go to the uh, Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba, and EV penetration is 3%, a little over 3%. And the, the, uh, does anybody think that Alberta is going to go to 100% EVs? I mean, mm-hmm. honestly um you know um that's ridiculous so yeah. just from that basis alone um it's very doubtful yeah the other thing i say and i found this out and uh, speak to your um to your uh, constituents and and listeners right now 20% uh, if the market penetration of evs in vancouver downtown vancouver is about 20% um that's pretty good, not as high as people thought, uh, because everybody thought that downtown elites are the ones buying um, EVs. Actually, where the market penetration of EVs is highest in all big cities, but I have the numbers for uh, for Vancouver, uh, is in the suburbs, uh, uh, Coquitlam, Port Moody, that kind of thing. They're at 40%, roughly, double what's down uh, the penetration downtown. And the reason is very simple, they drive, 50 kilometers each day, commuters do, uh, to uh, to and from work. That's uh, 500 kilometers a week. Uh, gasoline uh, is expensive, but home-charged electricity is cheap. Um, and, uh, and there's huge subsidies in, uh, in, 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 in British Columbia. And yeah. most importantly, they never have to DC fast charge because they'll have enough range to get into town and back home the only point on that is that's a business model or a purchase decision that is not directly transferable to say somebody in um in in Kelowna or some other hinterland in BC so getting all of those people is going to be tough even for some place like British Columbia to go to 100% that's why i say somewhere between 50 and 75% is more probable in 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 um in British Columbia and let's not forget and, and if we if if British Columbia gets to pick a number 62 percent by 2035 we shouldn't look this as an ab, as abject failure that would have meant that we've gone from zero to 62 percent of all cars being electric in 15 years that's not failure that's a good thing that's a, a positive step especially if a lot of those other cars are plug-in hybrids and hybrids as well
0: David, I love the analysis. Thank you very much for coming on to talk about this today. I appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Mike Smith Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop. Tune into the show live from 9 to noon on 980 CKNW. Want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment? Send me an email, mike at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.